You just heard I Love the Dead. Not by Alice Cooper, but by Samael from their Rebellion EP from 1995. This is the Rec Metal Podcast, Patreon edition, July 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. It's been a while since we've done a, a Patreon show um, like this. We've kind of put up some other content to kind of get us through COVID a little bit. Some of the radio episodes and um mm-hmm. trying to think what else we put up we put up a few things so um we appreciate you guys you know our patrons being kind of patient with us because you know how we would like to record live um in we're, person we're actually following the dutch uh distancing right oh, now. oh yeah we are which yeah. is about a meter yeah we got a good so we're, we're good we, we got a good, good three feet apart yep and we're uh this is a, a new area of the house that we haven't podcasted before so it's pretty cool this is the kitchen yeah so we're in <laughs> kitchen uh, tables we're down. in the southern headquarters mm-hmm. um we just recorded the uh i'm sure most of you at this point have probably at least have downloaded the slint episode we did that in the, the northern headquarters and stuff so um yeah it's kind of a little bit been tricky because I think we were putting a lot of content into our main episodes and we didn't have as much energy or time uh, like we normally have for the Patreon episodes because... But each session we'd like, you know, you'd come here, I'd go up there or we'd be doing over, you know, Skype or something, but it was... Every, it just took longer. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the shows are, you know, each talk sets a half hour. There's yeah. five talks. Well, those Greek ones were like, you know, some of those were three and a half, four hours. I think the last one was pushing like five hours. And then Slint yeah. was long. Um, we recorded a Kiss episode, as I'm, I'm sure we hint, I hinted towards on social media. and um, That'll go up sooner than later. So Yeah. And that'll probably be a long one, too, because we talked a lot. You know, the mm-hmm. songs themselves for Kiss aren't really taking up much Three room, minutes you plus. Know? But, um, you know, so we kind of do apologize. Um, but we were trying to get out like core content that was like valuable during all the kind of COVID, um, you know, distancing sort of stuff. And so I think we'll be in a little bit more semi-regular schedule. Plus we've played with some technology in terms of if we are stuck in a situation where we can't get together, what's going to sound the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And since this is a Patreon show, you know, and you guys are our our loyal donors and stuff like that, we can kind of give you some, some inside baseball. Um, we have been talking to Jeff Wagner from Radical Research and Decibel and Metal Maniacs, and he wrote uh, the Progressive Metal book uh, about putting together this summer um, a Peter Steele carnivore typo negative show. And he did the Peter Steele book. And he wrote the Peter Steele book, so that's why we want to bring you know somebody that has a kind of an expertise on that. Um, what was that called? Do you remember? Soul on Fire. Soul on Fire. Yep. Yeah, which I believe is a song off Bloody Kisses or some reference to a song off Bloody Kisses, maybe. But um, yeah, there's a song called Set Me on Fire. So I think it's a probably a reference to that. But yeah, so, you know, we want to get, we're, we've been trying to play with what technology when we have guests come in, you know, like we did the Tribulation show with Joseph Schaefer. And, you know, it sounded decent, but um, we want it to be a little bit better. You know, we had all those troubles with episode 200 when we had all those guests calling in and it was, Sound quality was was very not good, and so we want to make sure we're trying to do that stuff kind of right. Um, well, and it's also <clears throat> I've mentioned it before, but the editing technology that we're using is the same from the first episode, two thousand from about ten years ago. Uh, two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, pushing, twelve years ago, pushing twelve. Yeah, that computer still works. That's <laughs> what I use. But also some of the programs that we would use, there used to be like a levelator program that could basically boost sound value. Okay. No longer works on that computer. So what are you? What are you then doing? I bought another one. Oh, okay. We got. Another <laughs> but I'm finding like new stuff that I want. Yeah. You know, that I know how to use. It seems easy enough. And 
And also for Patreon fans, it's pretty cool. I just uh, it came in the mail this week, but I haven't had a chance to really mess with it. But um, I got a an old tape deck, uh, so I can start transferring over uh, the furnace, which is the metal show that um, I used to co-host, and then Mark would sometimes a guest on those um, back in college and. More of the Saucer Full of Secrets episode. So I, I'm not really sure what you guys thought. I got a couple comments on Facebook, I believe, about the the stoner rock doom metal um, episode that we put up probably last month, you know, I think. That, times That radio show. Times yeah. nebulous at this point. Yeah, it was point. either late May, early June, something like that. Um, just kind of pass the time for our Patreons and stuff. So I don't know, give us some feedback on that since you're the Patreons. If you like that stuff, if you don't, then I won't waste my time converting a lot of that over. But I just kind of thought it was fun to... I had time this summer. Um, as I've alluded to, a lot of the things that I normally do that make me busy in the summer are no longer <laughs> uh, happening. At the, yeah, the, at this the, point in time, the two camps I do, the Europe trip I take, usually with students. So um, you know, so I've got some time to kill, and I can waste it watching movies, which is a good. You know, it's a fairly positive use of time, especially when it's like ninety-five out. You know, I don't want to really go outside during the day. That's and fair. I usually exercise at night, go for long bike rides and things like that when it cools off. But uh, yeah, so that's something I, you know, uh, if people are into it, you know, I'm going to do it regardless, at least a few things, because I'd like to preserve that digitally before those cassette tapes become, you know, unusable at some point or, yeah. you know, who, yeah, knows? who knows what the life's And I don't is. even know what, how they're going to sound necessarily, um, but we're, we're going to give it a go. There's I, enough software out there where you could probably, or give me the files, I can run it through something and clean yeah, it up. yeah. I mean, I know Tim, our friend Tim O'Brien, did that with the the, um, the interview we did with Chuck Shoulder, and we have more of those. We should actually put a bunch of those up because I've got all those in a file. Mm-hmm. You know, just like mass put them up. Like here's all these interviews. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, there's like a isn't there one with Esau or something too? Yeah, oh yeah. There's some Emperor ones. There's 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 quite a few. I think maybe a Macedon one. Um, there's a Blind Guardian one. Mm-hmm. Although the Blind Guardian one is funny because at one point it phases like whatever I had on the tape before I recorded the blind guardian interview, like phases in at one point for like a couple minutes, which is kind of hilarious because that was the second time I interviewed Hansi and I did that one at the radio station. So he called into the radio station. So I recorded on a normal cassette tape instead of like a digital kind of recorder or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't know if it was something with the technology I was using there, but like I, I'm, I noticed like during the playback, I was kind of previewing it. And there was one point where like something else comes in during the blind guardian interview for like a minute. I bet you, I mean the, all the components there were way higher quality. So you might've had to have a actually like a race tape that you're supposed to use. Otherwise yeah. the, the playhead was so sensitive that it might just pick that shit I up. Know. It was pretty funny. So yeah, so, but anyways, you know, we've been good. I know we haven't really checked in with you guys as Patreons in a while. Um, you know, we're just surviving like everyone. Um, you know, Michigan seems to have a pretty good hold on things. Um, you know, our governor, I think, kind of reacted um, a little bit more, with a little bit more discipline, discretion, and that's kind of helped us. We hope that, you know, those of you in the States are, are staying safe with everything, and we know we have some international people as well. Hopefully you're staying safe, but... Uh, it's definitely been weird times, and I was trying. We were trying to reach out with some Patreon episodes, even you know, boosting a few um, episodes to give out for free for people to maybe entice them to sort of get on board. And we did get a lot more Patreons the last couple months, so maybe that helped, or maybe people just wanted more content. Because you know what, I think it's Donald Trump. What's that? He he got us more. Oh, did he? We got that yeah, extra with that, money. With that know? little extra money. Yeah. yeah. Which which people are realizing, you know, covered a little bit, but um, <clears throat> now we're we're starting to get into a situation where, yeah. 
I was talking to a buddy of mine. I was at a wedding last night, so I'm, I'm still a little hungover. Um, <laughs> but a uh, buddy of mine, um, you remember Chad Schmidt. Mm-hmm. He had just quit his job that he was with for five years and had taken a really lucrative contract to work um, at Chrysler headquarters. It was going to be like 40 an hour as a consultant. <laughs> and the job was supposed to start like March 15th. Wow. And so they shut down the headquarters. And so he basically was out of work and couldn't draw an employment because he didn't like lose his job. He actively like quit his previous job. So he's had trouble trying to show that he deserves unemployment. Do you know what I mean? So he's kind of had to go through the whole... He's a contract player? Well, he was going to be signed on as a contract player through Chrysler, I guess. You don't need to show anything. Well, he said he's I had didn't. a lot of trouble. Like with other people I've known that have do, like freelance or contract people. And I'm not it sure took how two it months was. to get retroactive. Okay. Because wasn't even like that wasn't even an option for yeah. several months. Luckily, yeah. I was you know fortunate enough not to have to worry. But like sure. you know, I had savings and other things. But and he's been doing side work. Um, so hey, if you need, he's been doing kitchens and all kinds. of So if you need a, a handyman. You know, I don't have money now. Though. I know, <laughs> but we are trying to get him some some side work. But he thinks he's got something pretty well lined up. He's a pretty That's handy good. guy. But just kind of a weird bad timing situation. Where yeah, you're quitting one job and taking a new one that's really going to be really good. But then that new job suddenly is just like whoop, not there anymore. But so. knowing handyman shit is one of the that's like a evergreen job that no matter what times are going on, like yeah. people always there's always somebody who wants something fixed. Sure. Yeah. Cash like, under the knowing table. Knowing that shit. Like, yeah. like that I'm glad too. I've got that in my back pocket for yep. when people hate art. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when people are down on art. But uh yeah, but you've been getting a lot of good, you know, artist commissions and things like that as well. Things luckily right as the uh the extra COVID money from the government is tapering off, I'm tapering back up. That's good. So it's it was very it, it's surprising. Sure. I'm, a lot I'm of shit a, things happened over the COVID, but you know a couple of good things are happening. Sure, too, so. I mean I think you know the thing about COVID that's like pretty fascinating is I was talking to my um, friend who's a Patreon of ours um, who lives in Taiwan, our buddy Luke, um, and we were just kind of talking about how COVID has like accelerated everything in good and bad ways. It's like mm-hmm. a double-edged sword. Yeah. It kind of takes whatever situation you're in and like kind of accelerates that moment. So. You know, something like the BLM movement probably wouldn't have happened with the velocity had it not been for something like COVID. So, like, no, people were sick of being inside and they wanted, you know, yeah, pissed off anyway. They had time to actually research things and to actually like see the stuff that normally they're so preoccupied with that they kind of just dismiss or whatever. Yeah. So, it like kind of works in both directions, you know, that kind of thing. And I was just bemoaning to Mark when we were kind of prepping this episode, kind of taking a break outside, just. You know, about as a teacher, just it's it's very stressful thinking about what, you know, us going back into the classroom is going to be. And, you know, it's just going to be a, a shit show for a lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean, um, there's that's the only like I think the only not the only at least the, the group of people that I'm the most familiar with that have kind of uh, been really screwed over the most is people that run venues. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I know a couple hairdressers and stuff, too. They've went back to work, but it's that's limited. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as things start coming back to normal, like, okay, what about teachers? What about like this whole other infrastructure thing? We, yeah, nobody's even really thinking about. And I mean, we can, we can totally do like I taught for three months from home. It, it's very doable, but also high school is different than elementary. 
Like I was True. talking to a buddy of mine who's a fan of the podcast. Um, I don't think he's a Patreon yet, but he's a kid I taught years and years ago at the wedding. Um, he's gone to a lot of metal shows, a couple with Mark and I even. And he just said he's got preschoolers and kindergarten kids, and he just said they're going to homeschool because it's one thing to do like Zoom meetings for like high school kids where you can record lectures and they have the patience to know. But like, how the hell do you do online teaching to like six year olds? Like their attention span. It's such a hot mess. He just said it it was practically like worthless to try during the spring. Well, the the parents are going to have to be involved. You can't just sit the kid in front of the computer and like, all right, see ya. ya And that's the issue, you know, and that, that brings up, um, I, I have this, Interesting thing, I got to look at a, a photo on my phone, but not to get too well. We can do whatever we want. It's a Patreon show, uh, and it's kind of topical. But it was this thing that um, I think it was Richmond, Virginia, their education administration, so kind of their union, mm-hmm. posted this thing, and I thought it was like really, really brilliant. But it just said, um, "Society is telling us that the lives of staff and students are worth the sacrifice." The above, however, we feel as a society we are failing to ask the right questions. I think these are really interesting. Why is our entire economy resting on schools as child care centers? Should American businesses in the year 2020 have advanced to the point that other countries have where child care is provided by businesses, long-term parental leave is accommodated, and flexibility in working from home uh, is kind of a normal practice? You know, why have we allowed for an income gap that is so severe and distribution of resources that is so inequitable that we cannot provide online learning to our students? Why is it the case that schools, ostensibly responsible for education, have become the band-aid solution to basic food access and healthcare services for families? And for you know, you know for uh, child abuse, like that's the first person to that's that's what I mean. And so we, and- so schools in America have become something different than what they were intended to be. And I think it's the same kind of thing. And um, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place a little, but. When John Oliver did his little um, episode about BLM and, and about policing and stuff like that, he mentioned that you know we're asking police officers to do too much, which is one of the problems of yeah. why so many problems are happening and why so many mistakes get made and, and things like that, that one of the things we need to do is maybe figure out what we actually want something like policing to do. And maybe something that's going to happen with COVID, from my perspective, and I'm selfishly hoping this, is maybe we'll take a long look at like, what we have done with American education that's gone so wrong in the last several decades compared to like, say what Finland and other countries that are are doing that seem to be doing better with like less testing, better tests, you know, better scores, higher levels of happiness for students. You know what I mean? Like, Standardized there's, testing is there's one some of the worst. Kind of, yeah. It, it's just not, it, that's some, That's like a business thing. That's not an education. It's very, yeah, we've turned education into a money-making business, and that's the Luckily, problem. Luckily, it hasn't know. become privatized because that's... Well, charter schools, some of it has. Yeah, you know, but like so. in general, like that's my concern about defund the police is then we'll have private police, and that'll be business. Robocop. Like, pretty, basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah. OCP, yeah. they'll OCP, come in. baby. They'll come into your, your shitty town and they'll make Delta City this little beacon on the hill for yeah. the rich people and then everybody else gets shot up by a duo nights. Yeah, it's it has a fucking to be, shit show. Everything's gotta be kind of it has to start from like real a real informed community. Like if you're gonna do things on that local level. Yeah. You know, and I get it because I get where people are worried about more government, more bureaucracy, you know. And I mean I'm more or less I think people know who have followed me on social media or whatever. Yeah, I'm more or less kind of a European kind of democratic socialist. So, like, I'm okay with a lot of those kind of things if they're done well. 
But I also think like you, you have to have local involvement too. Like you can't think, just like wait for federal government to like fix. No, those local, kind of things, local you know? government is the most important thing you can be a part of or vote. You know, those are the votes yeah. that really, really matter. And I think it was ignored for a long time in People a lot of ways, it, especially yeah. in like lower income areas. That's like, fuck, we can't pay the rent. Like, well, why, yeah. why, why am I going to waste the time to do My this? My mom like, never had time city council she was thing. working three jobs to pay attention to like yeah. politics. You know what I mean? On any level, local, yeah. state, or, you know, she probably just, she probably voted, I think, when I was a kid. But, you know, because I don't know, when you're economically marginalized, like, how do you have time to like research the issues when you're like trying I didn't, to cook, cook food and put, yeah. you know, pay your bills and, you know, I didn't pay, I didn't like vote in any local elections until about five years ago. Really? Okay. Because I was like, I didn't feel like I was a part of a yeah area, but then you're at a, in a certain place for so long and things start to affect you. And then sure. you see like, you know, the millage things that are happening. Like I'm Absolutely. always, if it's education, yeah. yes. If it's for libraries, yes. If it's for, you know, the DIA or something like yeah. funding that kind of stuff, like, that shit matters. Sure. It costs yeah. you like $26 a year. Yeah, if that. If that. Yeah, you barely notice it. You yeah. Know? So like, so. let's let's hop. Like, Amazon needs to pay taxes. Churches need to pay taxes. That's... We could solve a lot of problems if churches start paying taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Solve a lot of homeless problems, food security we'll, we'll problems. We'll even give them, we'll yeah. give them a five-year grace period where you start at a lower rate, and then we'll slowly get you up to the normal 35%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably start to see a lot of consolidation. Yes. Which... You know what? Every other business, you know, every other field has had to do stuff like that. I mean, constantly local schools are being shut down because they're underfunded and then they Mm -hmm. have to overcrowd. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, we've done it. Like, my field's done it. You know what I mean? Like, it Mm -hmm. happens. It sucks. And I feel bad. You know, I'm sure there's going to be an adjustment period, but it would take some really ballsy politicians to be able to, like, like really push that through. And you're going to get a lot of... uh, Kind of Christian coalition, Southern Baptist resistance. The problem is the a... the infrastructure for all of like the uh, all the lobbying for the Christian or like the I'm I'm fine if people want to go to church, whatever. Yeah, but it's fine. what gives them? Why do they need to have certain exemptions that other people don't? Yeah, and why don't poor people not have to pay taxes? Yep. But the fucking like the church they get. I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. and every week you go to church and they pass around a basket, and you put in. I mean, my parents have put in like twenty dollars, twenty dollar check in. Yeah. Times four or five hundred people that are in the thing. That's every week, every Sunday. But there's also during the week. Yeah. They pay the the deacons and the priests barely anything. Mm-hmm. They've got like you know to, to maintain the their uh, living quarters or whatever. But like, where's all that money going? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at the, I mean the Vatican's like the world's first corporation. It's a yeah. pyramid scheme essentially. Well, you they, know, the they pay for the pyramid. Illuminati and stuff too, so yeah. I understand that costs well, a lot of money. Yeah, it does. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the secret forces, you yeah, know, oppressing humanity. But no, it is interesting. I mean, I look at it from like a school standpoint. You know, like schools are, you know, we've turned schools into sort of businesses and, and things like that. Like, and it sucks because you're, you know, where does that money go? And things like that. And you can't, I don't think you can, you can't quantify education like that. That's what I mean. And my mom was a teacher for like 28 years and I never was a good test taker, but I'm not a stupid person. Like she understood I'd learn differently and she had a lot of kids that learned differently and you can't put that blanket. You can't teach kids with tests. And that's the thing that like politicians who are just looking for like numbers and headlines that they can publish in like the, yeah. That's what they want. Why do these test scores teachers like, have it so easy? They got these three months off. They should be, you know, yeah, well, accountable. People don't understand that I get paid for nine months. That's it. I yeah. choose to delay 
my checks, instead of getting 36 weeks of checks, I decided to get them year round. Most teachers do that. Yeah. Because that's kind of the way. Like, I'm not paid for the three months I'm off. I just choose but to, like, But those talking points start. Oh, yeah. And then people are just like, oh, these guys are fucking lazy. What are they doing? Like, you, my mom, any teacher I've known that's worth a shit has worked way above and beyond the 40 hours a week. Well, when you were living with me, there were some weeks where I was probably putting in, like, 100 to oh, 110 easy. hours when I was coaching. I'd yeah. be home at, like, 10 o'clock each night. And then I'd yeah. grade till I passed out at, like, 1230 in the couch and then wake up and do it all over, you yeah. know? And then Sunday night, you're at the my classroom prepping for Monday and you know, it's the, it's the little things, but it's like a, it's a true career that you care deeply about. And you go into it, not for money. You go into yes. it for, you know, so. unfortunately, but I mean, it it'd is be nice if you could be compensated a little better, but it is just going to be kind of interesting from, from a selfish standpoint of like how we, we pull this very delicate tightrope act and, you know, I coach, so, you know, we're looking at how are we going to like integrate sports and, you know, are they going to do contact sports? And, you know, it's just, it's a whole lot of nonsense that we could really record our whole, like a whole <laughs> podcast really about. So flag football is going to be the biggest thing. Yeah, man. You'll flag football with masks. With masks. Yeah. 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 Everybody's passing yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> I've seen people cause I've been riding a lot of bike, um, in the evenings going on kind of 20 milers and things like that. And on this, um, trail, it's not really a, like a, it's like a paved trail. But I do see people riding bikes like with masks on, and I'm just I haven't tried it yet to do like a lot of physical activity. I can't. I mean, I'm yeah. I, I have a well, I had a deviated septum and when I was younger, and it kind of went back a little bit. So, so it, my like breathing out of my nose is not 100 percent anyway. Got it. Yeah. But also, it's if I I've never I'm not in a crowded area without one. Mm-hmm. But physical activity, I mean, I see people in their car with them on. I don't understand. Yeah, cars seems a little. You're not going to be getting. You know, particulate matter through your... I mean, it's very fucking rare that's going to happen. Sure. Unless yeah. somebody I mean, sneezes in your window. I mean, maybe if they have, like, a you know, no immune system whatsoever. If you're compromised, you know, sure. They're just really careful, so it's hard to know. But, yeah, it's definitely been... It's it's a weird time. You know, I mean, this is going to be a, probably a turning point in... Certainly in American history when we kind of look at it. Because I think, not to get too kind of, like, macro, but, you know, you kind of see the passing of the torch to China and other countries who seem to be leading a little bit more with uh, science than maybe some of the... But top, also with top, communism. Because well, yeah. they can shut their country down oh, absolutely. Pretty, a little quicker than Dictatorships we can. have certain advantages, and I've yeah. always talked about that very bluntly in history. You know, like, we don't win World War II without a dictator on our side. We needed some dirty bastard like Stalin that could just force his people to fight Nazis whether they want it to or not. You yeah. know what I mean? With weapons or not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like here, here you, you don't, you know, here we have choice. Granted, you, yeah, we have the draft or we did in World War II and stuff, but for the most part, there's, there's a little bit more choice. And yeah, I mean, that's the, the double-edged sword, right? A democracy is we've sort of become like kind of spoiled children, you know, in some ways. Like we're unwilling to do things because we're so individualistic here in America, we feel entitled to like whatever we want to do and anything that's being asked that's like to the benefit sometimes of the collective whole is seen as like oppression on our rights or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. It's not so much communism. I think that helps China because you see it in Korea and Taiwan and um, Singapore and a lot of those Asian countries, you know, it's, it's um, Confucianism. And I think thousands, 2000 years of Confucianism that's sort of like, naturally ingrained in those societies well they're yeah they're more about collective the whole collective yeah. society instead of the rugged individual yeah. like you know. and honestly i think that's why china took better to communism than like other like european countries did because european <laughs> countries came out of a background of you know monarchy and in 
you know, like the Greek democracy and Roman republicanism or, or whatever you want to call it, but um, it wasn't as natural, you mm-hmm. know, in, in Europe. The closest we come to like collective stuff is like feudalism, and that's more amongst the peasantry, right? Where like yeah. the peasantry sort of had to survive on localized level and feed each other and, and kind of work as a community and stuff. But, um, you know, once underneath, we, you know, the yeah, the well, the landowners and but pretty much that selfish streak in us kind of really began with the Enlightenment, and that's where we got like the kind of taste for individualism and democracy, and that's where laissez-faire capitalism starts to come in. That you know, like if you work hard, you know, all, all the myths and, and things, and some yes. of those were were not myths. Some of them helped and benefited lots of people. You know, it depends know. on your your socioeconomic yeah. place, like where your family was in the tree. Most people that grow up poor don't ever really elevate out of that. Yeah, it's If tough. you grow up middle class, you kind of stay middle class. It's a, for sure, for sure. So, But hey, what do you think about the Alice Cooper cover? Hey, so <laughs> 1995, here we are. Um, so what we thought would be kind of fun, uh, and we'll come back to Alice Cooper here in a second, but what we thought would be kind of fun for, for a Patreon show um, that's kind of loose and, and sort of laid back is um, Decibel just did this issue, um, the tribute like basically a yearbook issue to 1995 and um they did another one for 1991 and mark's been a pretty big part of both of those and i thought it'd be kind of cool to get his perspective from it and also just kind of talk about uh their top 40 list of the the albums of 1995 a bit and um we might even turn this into two episodes so this one we're going to talk about the actual albums that are on the top 40 and kind of talking about some of the ones that stand out to us and that we enjoy quite a bit um i mean for the most part i like most of the things in this list there's a few things that like i'm not like super familiar with but i would say i own probably 30 to 35 of these discs that are on here probably more than mark um because i well all right so i kind of also told mark that What's interesting about this episode is 1995 is such a really weird pivot year for us mm-hmm. because by 95, I would say you and Chris had all but abandoned mainstream metal in America. Um, by 93, we had. By 93, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think you guys probably, you know, probably dipped your toe a little bit here and there in 94. Like, you guys were probably in... Uh, did you guys get into like the the Caius record previous to um, Sky Valley at all, no. or any of that kind of stuff? No. Um, I mean, okay. Caius. Nobody knew anything about Caius, yeah, except for Metallica talking about them. Okay, that was it. We knew Caius pretty. I I, I never saw the discs anywhere. Nobody ever talked about them. Gotcha. Like, it was just not in our our realm of experience. So I think this is an interesting one because in '95 I was a you know. Uh, spring of 95 I was a sophomore and fall of 95 I was going into my junior year and that's that pivot point where in the spring of 95 I walked into New Moon Records where Mark and I ended up working uh, years later and that's where I met Chris and that's when Chris you know I've told the story many times kind of fed me a lot of different samplers and Chris and I struck up a friendship and that kind of opened a whole gateway to like European metal and so it's interesting because when I look at this list I'm the kid who was simultaneously like listening to the gathering and also listening to like Caius and down and like these kind of more mainstream American metal records. And yeah. so like, it's a very much a sweet spot where like the, the, the X and Y axis sort of cross perfectly for me, you mm-hmm. know, whereas like you're, you and Chris have like your, your X axis is like gone way above where like me and my friends were. you guys are. Cause it was, we started listening to shit in 91. Yeah, and as a kid, like you've got an unbelievable amount of uh, 
like mental space to just dive real fucking deep into stuff. And just, we didn't even like, we skirted on the edge of the whole alternative thing. And then just like, this is, this is bullshit. We can go like the stuff we want to go is like way. And I was fully entrenched (laughs) in the alternative stuff because I was as fully entrenched in alternative because I was the same age when alternative came out that you guys were at the end of thrash beginning of death metal that like prime, like late middle school, early high school where you're like a sponge, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's weird for me because I know you guys, you know, I think you came to some of those bands a little bit later, especially when you lived with me when I was like, hey, man, I think, you know, Alice in Chains, you probably would like more of it than you probably originally thought. You know, what yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, like, I like the facelift record. That yeah. Came out and stuff, but that was but, 90. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you guys were kind of done with that stuff by that yeah, like time. Like Sap and Dirt and all that stuff. I never listened to it until years was, later. Dirt was like eighth grade. And that was like a perfect record. It was like the heaviest thing in eighth grade that and like vulgar display of power, like. I don't know what are, what are you listening to in eighth grade? You know what I yeah. mean. With no pipeline, no older kids that were showing us anything. We yeah. were we were like the cutting edge kids, which is hilarious. You know what I mean? Like it's small. It was in, like, I don't know how. The, I mean, pre internet, there was no other way. Yeah, like you could find like you were into stuff, but then you'd find somebody else that was into stuff like on a level beyond what you even like. Holy shit! Well, and that's you know, Grandcore Coon and I, who hasn't been on episodes for a long time, but he's on the the Melvins episode and the Helmet and a few others that we've Repulsion, done throughout the years. Yeah, I think he was on the Repulsion and maybe the Anthrax one, because he was at Uncle John's Cabin when we did Satyricon, Morbid Angel, and Anthrax way way back Q, when. Q, Q Warrant. Yeah, yeah, Uncle John's <laughs> Cabin. Yeah. Uh, but um, um, he was sort of my ride or die through a lot of that. Just like, you know, Mark and Chris were kind of there challenging each other. Um, and you know, I, I was open to certain things that he wasn't and, and vice versa. I would say I was probably the more open of the two of us. Um, you're the more open out of the four or out of the five of us. Pro- probably. I mean, like I said, like I, 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 I'm really firmly balanced in like mainstream and like extreme, like I can kind of go in whatever circles, you you're, know? Yeah. You're more willing to give things a chance because of something somebody said. Yeah. I'll and research I'm, things. And I'm things more like that. bigoted about yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. If like, there's some reason I don't, you know, one thing, it's just hard for me. To yeah. Get over. Sometimes for you, it'll be like the, the album cover. You'd be like, ah, fuck these guys. Or, you know, yeah, and or, I get that from an or artist like a, standpoint. You know, certain directors or something, they do something that is just like, you know, like peeing in my mouth. I don't ever care about you, whatever yeah, they you, do again. You've kind of dead. Yeah. They're yeah. dead. You. Well, and that happens with me. Some like Michael Bay is dead to me no matter what. Cause I had to sit through transformers two and Armageddon. Like, you know, and so like people would be like, ah, oh, did you like, see them in theater? Transformers in theater? Okay. Yeah. Not on purpose. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. I didn't want to go. Oh, yeah, I mean, going with a friend or something, that's fine. But Yeah, no, Bloom, uh, the guy I coached cross country with, had free free tickets or whatever and was like, let's go see Transformers 2. And Jesus. I think the girl, Jackie, I was dating at the time, and he brought his ex-wife, Wendy, and the four of us went. And Everybody got I just left each other after that. I was so <laughs> angry that I had to sit through that movie. you know. And I'd seen the first one and was like, Semi-nostalgic, especially because they got the same voice actor to do. They got Peter Cullen to do. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is cool. But like, it was good enough for me. I didn't... And obviously, it made too much money, so you knew there was going to be more of them. Five of them, I think. Yeah, something like that. But, um, but, you know, I ruined Armageddon in theaters for people back in 98 or 99. And that's right when I was becoming like like peak film film snob. Like, I was starting to take like film classes, and I was just like, I don't want to see this movie. I'd like The Rock. The Rock was pretty entertaining, but I was in high school when The Rock came out, and a lot changes between 96 and 99 when you're a senior in high school to 
a sophomore in college. Well, when you're just you eating know? hamburgers your whole life and then you get like some filet mignon, you're like, that's I it. don't want just a shitty hamburger anymore. Yeah. yeah. And when I started like, you know, I think renting Godfather the summer after I had uh, graduated high school and I know what did it for me with film. I, I very distinctly remember it was the summer. I, I, you and I hadn't, weren't really hanging out yet because I think um, you and Chris had just kind of split a little. We had our schism Your for schism. six months or something. So it was the summer of 97, um, right after I graduated high school. I was down in like the Benton Harbor, St. Joseph area by um, the kind of the border of Michigan and Indiana, Illinois, that sort of area. We were doing construction, and um, I was stuck all summer. I had nothing to do at night so like, because we were living in a house down there, and none of my friends were down there. So I would just watch a lot of TV. This is you and Uncle John. Me and Uncle John, yeah. And... Um, the American Film Institute did their first TV special uh, called "The Top 100 Greatest Movies of All Time," where they had all was these it on film classic movies. No, it was done on like NBC at like nine o'clock, eight o'clock, or whatever. Oh and, shit! You know, Roger Ebert and all these guys. Yeah, and I just like intensely watched it, and it was right when I was like starting. You know, I'd gone from cult classics in high school. Like we would rent, you know, Clockwork Orange and, and weird stuff, and I was sure. into Tarantino and all the stuff you were supposed to be into when you were like a hip. You know, I was, I'm, I'm not bragging, but like people like Mark and I were definitely like, in, at least in Mount Pleasant terms, we were like cutting edge in terms oh, of our attitudes yeah. toward things. Yeah. In a big city, we were, we'd be no, we'd be fucking nothing. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. we'd just be whatever. But yeah. like for Mount Pleasant, like I was into like hip shit and, and stuff for that era, but I still didn't, I hadn't gone back and watched a lot of classics. Um, Cause your dad was kind of into movies, but my mom really wasn't, and so I really wasn't raised with people who. My were dad like, was into like he was into Hitchcock. Okay, and like noir, right? He kind of dug some noir. A little, it was more just Hitchcock. He okay. loved Hitchcock. He because I know he, the three of us went and saw Touch of Evil when yeah. it was released. He'd never, he'd never oh, he heard never of that s- before. Oh, okay. So that was like, because uh, that was me trying to like, oh well, yeah, you, you like, know. and that's it's a pretty Hitchcocky noirish. Yeah. And that was like movie, he yeah. actually like anytime I was sick, I remember distinctly he would always rent those Edgar Allan Poe. Um, American International Pictures, yeah, yeah, versions of those things, and those are the great, just great. I didn't see those till we took that horror film class. But the Hitchcock stuff, we he would rent those a lot, and those just as a young kid, you don't need to really know anything about the story because visually it's so compelling. They basically tell themselves without even listening to them. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that was that was a a lucky little little thing. But beyond that, yeah, that was it was kind of just like he loved Hitchcock. He loved. uh, Sherlock Holmes had like a renaissance in the seventies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he got back yep. into that again, like you know, in seventy, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, funny, it's completely off topic, but uh, Nick, Nicholas Meyer, the guy that directed Wrath of Khan and wrote it, mm-hmm. he did. Uh, it's called Seven and a Half Percent Solution. Uh, it was a Sherlock Holmes novel that he wrote in the seventies. That was all. It was endorsed by the um, Basil Wrath Wrath uh, with the. Uh, Conan Doyle, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. He's yeah, he played he played him, but oh yeah, but, um, that's, that's but I over this whole COVID thing, I find a copy of that because I grabbed it because I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I sent that to him because he was like talking about how much he was into, he's like rereading all the old Sherlock Holmes shit. Yeah, and then I told him like that was the guy that directed Wrath of Khan. He's just like, oh, because he yeah, does yeah. not like sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> but he really liked the novel. That's so I was funny. Like, okay, that's good. You lure, you lured him in. <laughs> I was trying to I, I, try I love to a sting good trap. Him, you know? I love yeah. a good trap. Yeah. yeah. But no, so like watching the AFI special was was really crazy, and I think number one was Citizen Kane, and I I knew like Citizen Kane references from like Simpsons, but I didn't know Citizen Kane. And uh, number two was Casablanca, and Godfather was number three, and Godfather two was like 
up there as well. And I was like, man, I've heard of the Godfather movies. I remember like the fucking um, Tiny Toons or Animaniacs thing where they would do like uh, Goodfellas. But good they feathers. Would also, good, there, there was Good pigeons. Feathers. But then there was also like one where they, they, somebody played kind of like a Brando character or whatever. Yeah. So I knew all the impressions of Brando. But That's like, where I learned all about noir shit was from the old Looney Tunes. Uh, oh, where yeah. they would have like, you know, like, they'd be uh, making fun of Humphrey Bogart. I was like, yeah. who the fuck's this guy? Yeah. But all that stuff is like ingrained in Well, that's head. where you people like you and I learned about classical music was Looney yeah. Tune cartoons. <laughs> you know, they used all the, the famous classical stuff. But I also probably learned about closet racism accidentally without knowing I was. You know? <laughs> so, but, well, yeah, I did. You I grew up when uh, Amos and Andy, the TV series. They were rerunning that? That was on Channel 66 in the 80s. Oh, shit. I, mean, and I thought it was funny because I used to watch or that TV show. I mean, yeah. I was talking uh, about this with a friend a couple weeks ago about how all that I watched as a kid was like black sitcoms. Yeah, it was I watched like a lot of it was like Good Times, What's Jeffersons, Happening, The Jeffersons, yeah, even Cosby Show for me. Um, I never watched Cosby Show, but then um, Amos and Andy was on Sanford and Son. Yeah, like those are the the shows I looked forward to outside of cartoons. Okay, all right. So it's kind of like a yeah, it's a weird looking back. It's like. Man, that Amos Andy show is fucking terrible. Yeah, I mean, as far as like, I can't imagine. I I don't think I've ever seen an episode of it. So it's just like it's it's bad caricatures of African American. Yeah. God dang! But I used to think I don't know. It was just well, I went something and saw that's not white. Song of the South when I was in. I loved that. I loved singing Zippity Doodah, but I was in like third grade. Yeah, they re released it in the theaters, and it was part of. Uh, remember our Friday folders. It was yeah, part of those, those, those 50 cent movies. That's how I saw Transformers the movie like yeah, eight same. times. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yep. So so it's weird. Like, you know, and as a kid, you don't really realize you're being like programmed with, you know, racial stereotypes unless somebody. Well, they did the thing is they you. didn't it didn't affect the way I thought about black no, people. No, same. But no. I think some people, it's like uh you I don't know, if you can't separate the historical narrative of it, I I think you need some it's tricky. Some more perspective. It's, it sort of gets into like the media question that we always I talk about in my classroom. Like, I, you know, people will be like, ah, oh, my dad said like that's bias, blah blah, or that this article could be biased. I'm like, everything's biased. Mm-hmm. I said that's that's not an, everything in history has always been biased. I said that that doesn't devalue it. I said if you're intelligent enough to inherently be aware of the biases, you can still pull very valuable things out of sources. It's like. You know, like you don't have to cancel like art necessarily if you can separate the art, and we've talked about that plenty yeah. on this show. Well, or whatever, I would but. even say like uh, a a movie that's as awful as Birth of a Nation, the the original, like the twenties one. Yeah, technically that has some pretty like incredible oh. shit happening in it. Yeah, it just happens to have a very unfortunate it's, it's perspective. Hor- it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah of the of- the the cursed mulatto character, like is. Like, well, Jesus. and <laughs> the fact that it single-handedly brought back the Klan and, you know... Like, well, they were like American... Yeah, but technically, that's a... that's That used to be on one of those lists of sure. yeah. one of it the was most... On, it was on the AFI list. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. and we watched it in Dr. J's class. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know if we watched the whole thing, but we watched a pretty but good I, chunk of it. I don't know? think that that can, should be negated because of one perspective of it. To me, it's a teachable moment. Where exactly. you can really like unpack it and talk about like what the stereotypes did, contextualize it. Yeah. This caused this to happen. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like anything. It's like um, it's like the whole debate over like statues and things like that. It's like Germany doesn't need statues of like Hitler to remember Hitler. Like, you know, what I mean, like yeah. we can we can have cultural conversations 
both with it and without it, but it's, I, I don't know. I think if we a, completely get rid of everything, then what, then we're just going to have rhetoric from the other side. Yeah. And I, I think the Confederate statue thing is stupid because it was a civil war and they were, well, most of them were built 70 years later yeah, too. It was That's a totally it. like, it was, the a, fuck po- over, it was a totally political yeah, move and fuck stuff, black so. people kind of moment yeah, is exactly. what it was, but it was right on the, right after birth of a nation. Yes. It was like the daughters of the Confederacy were all responsible for that sort of stuff. And like, I didn't realize as a kid how far, how deep that ran, but even like stuff like Dukes of Hazzard, they had a Confederate flag on top of the car. They were the rebels. Yeah. And like rebels to me at that point meant more like the rebels of star Wars than like the rebels of our nation. But I also think that's how the daughters, that organization painted it, that they were like the rebels of star Wars, like these plucky, like, yeah, let's you know, even though they're the losers, like they were really fighting for something that had, you know, and that's how they it's, tried to frame that. And yeah. I think that's where like the narrative of history got really, really thrown off for a long, long time. You know, but like if we start like blowing up Mount Rushmore and like yeah, it's tricky, you know? <sighs> I don't think we should. Yeah, I think what we should do is leave Mount Rushmore alone because it's pretty. It's it might not be what everybody wants, but it's pretty cool to look at. Mm. But also, they should actually. Uh, finish the crazy horse monument. yeah absolutely because yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, fucking you, insane I think, I think you kind of counterbalance some things and i think as long as you like contextualize everything as long as like when you go to visit those things if you want to keep those things you've got to present the narrative that's accurate you can't just sugarcoat it because that's where that's where you get this sort of like false mythology and, and like ultra patriotism bullshit ignorant yeah. stuff that builds you know people bought into like you know like people say things that if you look at them historically sound like the America first organization back in the forties and you know, that yeah. were like pro Nazi pro Hitler, you know? And it's like, we don't need that rhetoric. When, you know, and you sound ignorant in, in being that blindly, like sort of loyal to things. And, and why are people like not so, canceling Ford motor company? Yeah. Henry Ford was, he was an anti-Semite. Yeah. Well, and Hitler, Hitler admired Ford more than any other American capitalist. Cause he wouldn't hire Jews and things like that, yeah. you know, and stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 cherry picked where it's where a it very. Be, I mean, know? I drove a Volkswagen. Yeah, that was the. You're the, driving a domestic car now. That's weird. I know, but I'm just saying, like a Volkswagen was like basically Hitler created that company to create the people's car that could like put cars for all Germans and stuff. So true, you know. But what I mean? they it, they were uh, superior to American cars. When sure, you it. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, you know, and Volkswagen's very different. I mean, when I, I drive it. a Toyota, and that was a, you know, sure, they yeah. were part of the. Yeah, the, the axis. axis of evil and shit. Yeah, it's a, it's. But they make damn fine vehicles. It gets it gets very tricky. So, yeah. but back so, to like, 1995. Everybody have an open mind and yeah. just fucking calm it's, down. It's so it's so tricky. Um, yeah, it's not black and white. Nope. Uh, but 1995. Yeah. Is that when Michael Jackson's Black and White came out? Uh, that was 92 or 93. Okay. Dangerous. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to. Get... You're close. Right. Yeah, because Bad came out in 88, and I think it was a gap of like four or five years. So. Okay. Remember the times, man. Great video. A lot of technology. That was like first, like early CGI and morphing and stuff, morphing yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, that was like right after T two came out and they were doing all that technology. But um, so what Mark and I decided to do for kind of part, you know, the the July Patreon show and maybe the the August one, we'll we'll kind of come back and do a sequel to this. Yeah, this will definitely be a part one of two. Um, is we want to kind of focus on records that were on the top 40. And, you know, we picked out Samael um, Rebellion, um, our good friend of the podcast, uh, Mr. Christopher Dick. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't Chris that wrote that one. It was Forrest Pitts. I thought Chris did the top five EPs for some reason. Oops. 
Yeah. Sorry, Forrest Pitts. Yeah, sorry, Forrest. I thought he did that little sidebar. Maybe he was just sort of talking about it or promoting it or something on a, 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 a Facebook thing. Chris wrote some of the reviews in here. I know that. It looks like a Chris list because of the way it's structured. Yeah. And it's got like, catatonia and inflames and amorphous. And like then there's the, the one oddball that nobody ever yeah, heard the, of. Yeah, <laughs> the droids, the French band. I just picked that up, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Yeah, Chris did the one for um, Opeth. Um, he did the one for, um, let's see, I'm looking. Did you do Celestial Season? Somebody else? Um, perhaps. Let me look here. Yeah, he did uh, Sarah, Sarah Kitteringham. Did, oh, he didn't do Blind Guardian. That was Sarah Kitteringham. He did Unanimate It. Okay, that makes um, sense. He just did all the... He did if the If you gathering. guys want the reissues of the Unanimated yeah. LPs, he's, he did all an entire... Those are really nice, those. right? Yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, he did... Um, Domination. The Gathering. Oh, he did Domination. Yep. Yep. Um, even our good friend Joe Schaefer, he did the Flurity... He did a few. He was on the Tribulation show. He did a few others that are mixed in here. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was a fun little list. So we decided to pick out um, three records each of bands that we don't. Well, not to say that we won't ever do a show because I think we plan to probably do a Samael show sometime because they're a band we we do enjoy up to a certain point. Um, well, we'll start running out of things to not do. So we need to. Yeah, we can't yeah. ever say not. I mean, yeah. I'd like to do another. Edge of Sandy show again. Sure. Yeah. Or, or both for our show because those are like the first two episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Compare the two. Yeah. Uh, I know Andreas would be pumped for another bolt thrower show. Yeah. yeah so, um, a fellow bolt thrower tattoo person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you see what he posted the other day? It was really funny. Uh, in response to like a, a Patreon kind of. Was it the slint thing? Yeah. Was, I was like it being was patient or under something? slint and, uh, or maybe something. And it, Somebody else posted about, um, oh, I know what it was. It might have been the, um, I posted the Poison Idea uh, badge on mm-hmm. the, the 1990 History Heavy Metal Countdown. And someone kind of said, oh, I didn't know that this was like the original version of it because they knew the Pantera cover from the Crow soundtrack. Yeah. And then a uh, kind of side conversation started about um, how I, I really do want to do an episode on 90s metal soundtracks with like Judgment Night, The Crow, Demon Night, because there was like a lot of really like famous ones. <laughs> yeah, and I think it'd be like a really hilariously like weird, you know. Yeah. But it, it would end up being me probably subjecting you like the power metal episode because you yes. were not paying attention to any of those kind of things very much, you know. Well, I like the, I was a fan of the power metal re- revival like primal fears sure. and hammerfall and but i'm saying like 90s metal soundtracks i don't think was like a thing you and chris paid that much attention to no i like the um did the crow did you ever listen to that in 93 what was even on that well it had was hel- it exclusive shit or was it, had it helmet milk toast from betty had um i was done with mel- with nine inch nails did a joy division cover um hmm. pantera did the badge um rollins band were on it rage against the machine it was bands that I was listening to in 1993. No, it was the, like perfectly tailored. The made Judgment Night, that was the one that we were more into. That was 94. Was like, yeah. That was like rap and metal bands yeah, together. Yeah, so that, that was like more of a thing. Slayer, Ice T, and yep. Yeah. Mud Honey was on that. You know. So I have a really great fondness for all of those soundtracks because they're right in this 92 to 95, like right when I was still listening to a lot of mainstream metal. Whereas like you and Chris were kind of like done with most of that stuff i think yeah i'm but it was you know? that was like an interesting time for soundtracks because airhead soundtrack people I mean, were doing new shit it wasn't just like yeah 
either a score or like you sure. know, old previously recorded I mean, even music. That, the Airhead soundtrack had the Motorhead "Born to Raise Hell." It had a White Zombie original. I mean, like those soundtracks were good for what they were. Yeah, I mean, it was all like original shit. That was like, like an era where you didn't have to care about the movie to get. I didn't. I never watched Judgment Night. Me neither. Yeah, but it was like <laughs> I never know, watched Demon Night. I, li- I love Demon, Demon Night soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that's actually good. So. Or uh, Bordello of Blood. They're both pretty okay. entertaining. Bordello of Blood with Scott Bakula. He's in one of them, isn't he? Dennis Miller. <laughs> oh, okay. I think. Scott Bakula was in some kind of weird horror movie of that era. I thought oh, it was a he Tales was, from he the was in um, uh, Lord of Illusions. Oh, the Clyde Barker? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. A lot of those movies, like, I was young and kind of like, I didn't watch them, but I saw them all at the video store. Lair of the White of, Worm. They all sort of Ken blended Russell together. Shit. Like, there's yeah. so much weird shit of that era that we had, time was just didn't even matter. It was just like, there's never we never had we're never like stressed yeah we're like oh fuck let's watch four movies tonight and get high yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's where all and it's just burned into my brain so i'll never forget we would do that andy zimmer and i um andy's a good friend of the podcast and friend of mark and i's um we would do that like video connection i think was was one of the places where it would be like five movies for like a dollar and we would like pick out like like two or three movies that were like mystery science theater 3000 like worthy yeah and then like a couple of like decent ones so we were watching this really fucking terrible et mac and me spinoff type movie called noki about this fucking it's alien. worse than mac and me oh my god it is and i mean mac and me just makes me laugh now because of the paul rudd like stuff every time he was on yeah. Brian. <laughs> that just kills me but like it was like it was called noki and we just i think it was like rob dan Andy and I just yeah. watched it. Dan's Mark's neighbor, um, who Mark used to rent from a couple years ago. But yeah, just we do shit like that all the time and just like watch like four movies in one day and no one cared. You know, yeah. like that's what you just did. You know, yeah, just because I really didn't care about television. After yeah. Twin Peaks ended, there wasn't anything I was watching on TV. I was still, except for this whole house. <laughs> I was still doing X Files and Seinfeld and you know a few okay. of those. You know, I'd see it when so. it was on, but it wasn't like a destination thing. X Files was pretty destination for me though. Okay, that was like me before Buffy. That was like my yeah. Because I was really young when Twin Peaks came out. I was in elementary school, so yeah. like my mom didn't watch it. So like I heard kids on the playground girls talk liked about it. it. So it made it even more like oh, for oh sure. sure let's can yeah, we come yeah. over to your house yeah. and watch it? Yeah, yeah. girls like David Lynch. So yeah. you know. It's like He's girls like goth metal. That's why I kind of probably listened yeah. to a lot more gathering than I probably should have at one point because all the girls I was hanging out with liked it. So I was like, hey, yeah, it's a good compromise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why not? Speaking of the gathering, they're on the top 40 here. That's true. Yeah. But so what we decided to do is we each picked out kind of three records of um, bands we haven't really done an episode on. And maybe we will. Maybe we won't in the future. But I thought it was, you know, be good talking points. Um, we probably won't do it just in a exclusive ep episode of rebellion so probably not yeah and so um yeah i guess talk about you know samale and and you know why you picked this song and, and rebellion a little bit and this is the first samale i ever heard too the first one i ever heard was um blood ritual okay so you went back to yeah and the we, originals me and chris saw or was they, blood ritual was worship him first yeah okay worship so you him, saw but that was the second one i think worship him was on osmos so mm. um everything else was on century media and we yep. were just century media acolytes all the stuff it looked great. It sounded like every band sounded completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in 93, they toured with Grave. And that's Ceremony of Opposites was... No, Ceremony was 94... 93 or 94, Ceremony of Opposites was. I think, yeah. I think it so, was... It's definitely one of those two years. Of that era. 
because I just listened to, uh, if anybody else enjoys metal podcasts, go and subscribe to uh, Consuming Impulse. I don't know the the guy that runs its name. It's just one Australian, so Australian dude. dude? Okay. Um, and then he'll do like a two and a half hour conversation with like Jorgen from Grave or from Scott Carlson or yeah. um, Ovar Sofstrom, like very like old school guys, you know. Um, but he was talking about that on the uh, that last podcast about that tour. going through, yeah, hmm. or at least touring the states twice. So that would have been one of them because I remember him and Chris's Dodge Shadow, and he could barely fit in the car because he's like fucking six six or something. Yeah. It was fucking crazy. Like when I took Opeth to Bennigan's in my mom's car, <laughs> yeah, and their knees were like in the roof, basically. Yeah, a bunch of Swedish Viking dudes. But like at the time, Samael was one of the. They didn't. We knew Celtic Frost, but we didn't understand, like the Swiss connection of how like coroner and Celtic frost. And there's that mid paceness that nobody had, else, uh, it wasn't super common at the time. Um, Elastis was another yeah, like Samael kind of yeah. type band from Switzerland. But like mid pace black metal at that time. Wasn't really a much of a thing. Um, and they were, I mean, kind of screw the worship him is more black metal, but they're kind of in the same, I would throw them in the same kind of category of black metal as riding Christ. For sure. So yeah, they're we not brought Samael a lot on those riding Christ. Shows. Yeah. They're not, they're not pace. really pulling yeah. from the, you know the the batteries and venoms and stuff as much as it is. They are, but they're. I feel like they're pulling more from like the anthemic like Bathory songs that were slower, like Woman of Dark Desire. You know, like yeah, songs that weren't as like caustically like aggressive, but more like catchy. They yeah, mid, they definitely weren't. Stuff. They didn't have that excitement of like you know Dark Throne, Panzerfaust, yeah. or something, or Burzum albums, where it was just like lo-fi kind of like Beharit, that really lo-fi shit. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of their own thing, and super, they sounded great live because they were a three-piece. Well, and that sound sounds good live. That yeah. sort of like catchy mid-pace. You can hold like, out notes. That chug, yeah. you know, whatever, the, the the palm muting and all that. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they mixed like, yeah, death metal and black metal in a great way. And then they went on to do some stuff I don't really care about with a lot of the synthy Yeah, I kind of go off but, the train with them. Um, I think it was the record... Ceremony is the last one I care about. The one that's right after is Passage, right? Yeah, it's way more keyboard yeah, heavy. I like Passage. It's catchy. Um, but it's very much an album of that era. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, kind of like when Rotting Christ did like some more kind of gothic-y tinge stuff. Like mm-hmm. that late 90s century media thing, Moonspell. You know, it was just like, like a yeah, lot of... Moonspell wouldn't exist without Samantha, oh, I yeah, think. exactly. They're kind of along those same lines of like... And Tiamat, like, skirting the edges of yeah, what they were the, all flirting with goth and the genre was. and things like that. And then yeah. uh, Vorf, or Vorfalak, as he was previously known, mm-hmm. went on to be the sound guy for Carcass for many years on oh, yeah, that's U.S. Right. tours. <laughs> he did something, I believe, I think we brought it up on one of the Routing Craze episodes. He, like, helped produce, um, worked on, I think it was the record after Dead Poem. He helped them with production or definitely played some keys maybe for them or, or something so yeah that sounds uh, right i remember bringing it up but we recorded that that episode so long ago that, that i think that was the last episode we did pre-covid so it was definitely like february yeah so yeah. so there's lots of things to try yeah, there was a lot <laughs> there was remember. a lot going on on those those greek metal things but but yeah samil was one of those standout century media bands you know grave and tiamat and like that whole camp was just that as far as me and chris were concerned was like it was like the 4AD of metal at that point. Yeah. Just the stuff was like diverse, but everything was great. Well, and it's funny for me with Century Media because, um, and it relates to Samael in terms of my entryway, because 
one of the defining kind of moments was obviously when I went into, you know, order Tiamat Wild Honey um, and Chris was working. And, and Chris, either that time or the next time I went in, started feeding me comps. And he gave me the, the UHF comp with relapse nuclear blast stuff that had a lot of stuff that's on this countdown. It had dissection on it, dismember for massive killing capacity. Um, I think hypocrisy was probably on there. Um, oh, certainly amorphous was from mm-hmm. Black Winter Days, it kind of era. Um, the EP, which is another top five EP, along with Rebellion from Samael on the, the decibel list. Um, and then he also gave me the identity comp where he like, pointed out and was like, you should pick this up, the first century media comp. And the cover we were laughing at earlier looks kind of foolish. but Well, it, In the Eyes of Death is the first century media comp. That is true. That is true. So but this, for me, it was this was like, a, I don't think one. this was a comp. This was, I think, sold as like a sampler. It was like, like yeah, a it was a low sampler. price, like yeah, three dollars like, or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, definitely a different term, but that had some ale, that had grave solace on it. Um, it had uh, Tiamat was on it. It had um, boy, I was looking at, I had it pulled up on my phone earlier. Some of the stuff that was on there, stuck I mean, mojo. Yeah, it had stuff like that too. Uh, Evermore. It had uh, Nevermore was on there. Iced Earth was on there. And it really showed the diversity of that label. Uh, Strapping Young Lad was on there. The Gathering, I believe, was on there. Maybe they weren't on that first one. Um, Do I still have it pulled up? Oh, look at that. I do. Yeah, Tiamat, Whatever That Hurts was on there. Sentence, New Age Messiah, um, which that record uh, is on this countdown as well. Amok is like number 33. Yeah, on the decibel thing. Um, I Hate God was on there. Unleashed was on there. And so... You know, it had like stuff like Only Living Witness, um, which was definitely in the camp with what Grand Corcoon and I were still listening to, which is like the, you know, Monster Magnet, Corrosion Conformity, those kind of bands. And then you also had like, you know, intelligent death metal stuff. And so it was like a perfect kind of crossroads for us um, and certainly me. And so I kind of really became a big Century Media guy right after that. Yeah. And so. Um, Samael wasn't on that one. I bet they were on, Oh yeah, they were. Rebellion was on there. Okay. Okay. So I get like identity one and identity two mixed up because those were the only two identities I think I ever grabbed. And then there's the, that was the era of good, too. uh, yeah. When they were licensing all the black metal yeah. shit. Yeah. So like century media had good, like little samplers or, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. That's, know? that's kind of, kind of a bygone idea. You don't really need it now because you can listen to anything for free on Spotify or YouTube or, you know what I mean? And like, I'm less likely to, if somebody's like, if a label sends me a, a sampler, I was like, eh. yeah, yeah. Unless, but that, that was a different time. So. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, pre-internet, that's how you had to track this stuff down. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's so weird for like me is I, you know, you guys had your, your portents into this, you know. I don't think we knew about Terrorizer at this point. We definitely, I was buying Metal Maniacs, but I was also buying... I don't think I was buying Hit Parader, but I was buying things that were like, had a toe a little bit more in kind of alternative metal pantera alternative press or anything like that i don't know i i think i remember buying a couple issues of that but i wasn't like super loyal they'd tiptoe around certain things that they thought would. they were kind of like the revolver of their time or almost or something like that i Um, mean they were way more into like uh indie rock alternative yeah 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 i guess revolvers like kind of more metal um it just depends on what era. revolver yeah is like a very it's like a, a Time Magazine. As comp- I cannot even know what a comparison to Time Magazine would be. But like Decibel is a more specific thing, and Revolver is kind of like this more blanket. It's trying to be more broad, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. 
There was a magazine for a while, and I, I think I this is where I read about Tiamat. It was called Livewire. Do you remember that magazine? They had like a little no. one pager uh, on Wild Honey, and that's the the tagline hmm. was if if Pink Floyd made a death metal record. And I was just like, I was a huge Pink Floyd guy, and I was starting to dabble in death metal at that point. I think we had gotten. You know, Morbid Angel, most of the, you know, Death, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, the, the ones we were supposed to, and Tomb we knew about. So we knew about some of the Earache stuff, but we hadn't really, like, punched through beyond, like, Earache and Metal Blade Death Metal, I think, by by that era. Yeah. And so it was cool to find, like, Century Media, Nuclear Blast, Relapse, some of those, kind of that, that style. And then from there, we got into the more obscure Swedish stuff, you know, the No yeah. Fashion labels and wrong again you know mm-hmm. in flames and, and some it's of those funny because i think your entry point for metal maniacs is when they were starting to swing in a better direction for sure yeah wagner and, and when and we some first of those guys were started starting getting to... it like it'd still be the same old shit of like was it mike were you the mike g era because mike g was still the editor at like the it was beginning. all like you know anacrusis and anthrax and yeah. not all a bands but they were still hanging on to because they thought death metal was untested and then the reviews would be very like kind of hit and Luke miss Warm and then they, they started doing a a feature called zine scene okay in 90 in the nine early 90s sometime i still have a copy of it where they review uh requiem, requiem. number two or something and, okay. and it's not very flattering they were really <laughs> flattering to us with eclipse um metal maniacs the whoever wrote that review when we did i think it was eclipse it was when you had come on board it might have been four or five I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, way after the, like when we actually, people knew how to write. I think it was the bathtub uh, cover with the noose. The, that was my, silhouette. my second yeah. one, yeah. Uh, and they called us the best underground magazine in the U.S. Well, so, I, I would agree. Yeah. Because there I wasn't took, a whole lot of us there I was going to say, either. I mean, but I think, I think, you know, we put our money where our mouth is. You yeah. Know? Um, I think we, you know, we, we didn't always hit everyone out of the park, but I think we were doing things that were, we had some freedoms that I think, Corporate magazines like Terrorizer and Metal Maniacs didn't always have, you know. Yeah, we definitely had because Chris was the he was the you know entrepreneur of the whole thing. Yeah. So there's every once in a while they're like, "Oh, this person's going to advertise, so we need to do an interview with whatever." But, but we, it was never you to the and point. I weren't really doing. The, there were other like guest writers that would do some of those like token one. Oh, we never interviews. did it. We were yeah. completely. The funny thing is, that I think we were kind of like like bucking a lot of his ideas oh, because we were for sure challenging. Yeah, it know. was the it was the band dynamic where. There was a lot of disagreement, but that's what made us better. Yeah. Because we weren't all like blowing smoke up each other's asses. Well, and there's you know? uh, at a time three of us that were in one area. Yeah. And then one guy that was Chris in another was in city. Philly. Yeah, yeah. So it was completely. Uh, yeah. It was like rival camps. There was but, some tension. But uh, yeah, I think he, he was a good sport about it. And it was always I think we like, kept him honest. And I think yeah. he, he upped us. I remember, you know, there was an episode, there was an issue where we were a little lazy in the editing department and he kind of called us out on it and, and it was good. We needed, we were probably a little too big for our britches maybe, you know, with power. We were getting cocky. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So it was, a, yeah, that was an interesting time, but I knew I want, like, I would read the reviews I wrote for like the first three issues and like cringe and be like, this is my mantra is to like never write reviews like this ever yes. and just... I was taking a lot of writing classes. I was doing a lot of writing in college. I, I could like it was like ep- exponential leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know that review I wrote for Tool in the episodes or issue seven. Like I still read that. And I'm like, I 
I can stand behind like what I was doing here, what yeah. I was trying to do that was different than what any review I was reading in any other magazine. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They were like small like essays almost sometimes. You know, well you're doing a different like a more mo- like in this in the context of magazines now you're doing like more of the style of now. Yeah, perhaps. Which is yeah. kind of like you know fairly. Well, also most magazines wouldn't do stuff like that because they usually pay by the word. Yeah, and. You know, we weren't getting paid. Yeah, we like just... <laughs> we'll give you thirteen dollars, do whatever you want, but yeah. this is how many words you get. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, it, it was more of like a challenge to myself. It wasn't like, oh, I got to get this review done. I should just like do a paragraph and call it good. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was, a, it was for different reasons. There was a pride. Which, attached which to album it. was that for? That was for um, Latrellis. That I mean, yeah, that, that was, was that was a big that was record. a big record for all of us. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I know Tool still gets slagged on a lot. Midnight but, sale for that one. Yeah, yeah, that, I worked even that like the sale. the DVD had a midnight sale. Yeah, yeah, and that DVD live disc is is still pretty awesome. That live version of I saw um, that for one hundred thirty dollars. I know. I, I have the live <laughs> disc. I don't have the DVD, but I have the disc that went with it. The okay. stuff, but so it was yes, yeah. So like again, um, you know, it was just a weird time ninety five. And if you haven't read that decibel issue, it's it's worth tracking down. But they kind of talk about how ninety five is this weird like crossroads of trends. You know, this is sort of um, definitely thrash has played itself out by this point. Death mm-hmm. metal has gone mainstream with the like earache Columbia stuff and with what Morbid Angel did um, with Giant Records. They're about like a year away kind of, from kind of and that kind of faltered though. Like yeah. all those deals were sort of like petering, you know, in a, yeah. in a certain sense. Um, yeah, I think Carnival Bazaar was Carnival Bazaar still part of the Columbia deal. Uh, I, I know, no, I don't think so. Ethereal was was just Ethereal, Ethereal was just and Cosmic Ethereal. Requiem. Cosmic Requiem yeah. definitely was too. Yeah, but then like, um, yeah, Brutal Truth did Need to Control, and then the next one went to uh, Relapse. Okay, I, I think it was just all one. It was each just did one yeah, record. Carcass and, did hard work, yeah, and, and then Swan Song nobody wanted to put out, and then yeah, Eric eventually Wolverine put Blues. it out again. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Napalm. And then to ride was on Third Man Music for Nations. That's true. Yeah, yeah. By the time you get to Diatribes, they you know from Napalm that was ninety six. They're think. back on Eric. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there was just one album. So Maybe was, if they're lucky, you got an EP out of so it. So it was like ninety three, ninety four. They had experiment with like death metal mainstream. You know, you had, um, you know. It was just a weird, it was this weird crossroads. You know, Doom was really starting to like come together. Stoner Rock was kind of starting to formulate with like, um, you know, Caius and Monster Magnet and Clutch and like, not not that those bands are quote unquote Stoner Rock, but they were starting to like establish like this weird, it, it was wasn't like alternative, it, it wasn't Doom Metal thing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like Candle Mass, but it wasn't like, I don't know. It was something in the middle. It was this weird, like mishmash of genres, and like I was all about that because, because of how eclectic my listening skills were, I got like geeked when bands like bucked trends and played with different genres. And I know some people are more purists about that, and that annoys them. But like, I think I was such an open book, and as a high school kid, I was like, yeah. "Give me whatever." You know, we were just joking. Um, one of the bands that was on my short list to maybe put on here was Mr. Bungle. Disco Volante, that was a Columbia House thing for me. It was like the album of the month, and I just got it blind. I'd never heard a Mr. Bungle <laughs> song ever. I just knew Faith No More. And like I remember putting that on and just being like, what the fuck is this? But like I kind of was like down for whatever they were doing, and then I'd invite people over, and I'd be like, dude, you got to listen to this one song. It, it sounds like a fucking like chipmunk is singing here or whatever. And it was like a platypus that was like making this fucking Mike Patton sound. Or, yeah. You know, and, and like... 
by the time you get to the last song on that Mary Go Bye Bye, like all of a sudden he just goes into like pure death metal. And like for me, that was like really cool that like a band that I perceived, I, I perceived Faith No More because I only really knew, you know, Angel Dust and um, I didn't know Angel Dust that well, probably 95, but I knew Real Thing and stuff. That never, I never would have predicted that guy doing like death metal stuff. I don't think I knew he was part of Brujeria at the time, or you know, like I didn't know all those insides. You didn't see like Billy Gold wearing napalm death shirts all the time in the videos, but I was 1989. Like, <laughs> I was I was 10 years old. I was 11. I didn't even yeah. know what death metal was. You didn't know what napalm death. Yeah, was. yeah. I, I had no. First time I really learned about napalm death was through Dream Theater, because the one guy Petrucci was friend or no not Petrucci was the vocalist was friends with uh, Barney and they would Barney used to wear napalm or wear he uh, would wear Dream Theater Dream shirts, shirts and they would wear napalm and I was like oh and then like I don't know where I first encountered napalm it might have honestly been that I got that alternative tentacles Dead Kennedys tribute tape at New Moon. Okay. And it had Napalm doing uh, Nazi punks. Mm-hmm. And that might have been the first Napalm song I ever heard before Fear Emptiness. Because oh, shit. I remember Kuhn came back. I remember this. Because it was your guys' fucking demo promo tape. Yeah, we traded all our, our promo tapes in to get CDs. <laughs> so Kuhn <laughs> bought yours at New Moon and came home and was listening to like Twist the Knife and Hung. And it was he had never we had never heard anything like that that production or just that like at the time we thought Napalm Death was like the most evil band in the world because of how it sounded. That's a weird sounding album. It's a weird sounding yeah. record, and like Kuhn was like, I think I hear like secret messages in it and stuff. Like we were just have, <laughs> and he'd be like convinced. He's like, I swear he's talking about this or that. Or I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. So like that was my first Napalm was Fear Emptiness. What a weird first Napalm to hear. Then yeah. I think I got Death by Manipulation on cassette tape, and I heard like Suffer the Children and like the catchy stuff. Yeah, from you know that era. I mean, har- yeah, Harmony was like a fucking watershed moment. Sure, but, but it's so it's so ninety five is like it's hard to articulate it, but I can see why Decibel devoted like an issue to it because it is such a bizarre year in metal. We always joke, and by the way, Luke, who just you know donated and became a Patreon. Um, He's he keeps wanting us to do an episode devoted to like trying to unpack how weird the late '90s are and like extreme metal, like with what all the bands, like the trends of like Paradise Lost doing like their Bride weird and, shit, yeah. Bride, and he just trying to like inca- like trying to contextualize. And I was like, well, maybe it's we, like interesting. We've talked about a lot of that in other. It shows. just shows up in every episode. We just haven't like sat down and actually like yeah. microscoped it. But he just said it'd be an interesting topic if you're yeah. ever looking for a topic, but. But I think 95 is the beginning of that. Grunge just died. Kurt Cobain killed himself in 94. Well, Soundgarden at, was At the gates of, did, uh, you know, Slaughter of the Soul, which kind of put a period on the end of death metal. And it predicted the next era, which yeah. was... Eight, well, and okay, so two things happened there, you know, and Decibel talked a lot about this, so we don't need to go too deep into it, but I think you got Slaughter of the Soul and you got Lunar Strain and Subterranean mm-hmm. and you got the gallery. And so I think it was like the floodgates were opening for melodic death metal and closing on like brutal death metal. Thank you for not calling it mellow death. Oh, I hate weird, that term. It's kind of a weird term. It I sounds just, like melodic. It's like just melodic. Marshmallows or yeah, I don't know. Exactly. And then obviously from at the gates predicted, you know, metalcore type stuff, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. I mean, I've heard debates where people are like that. You know, Slaughter Souls not even a death metal. Record. It's a thrash metal record, you know. 
with just like death vocals and stuff. And it's like, I, you know, that's a conversation piece, but, um, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. But yeah. I mean, it just is what it is, but it's, um, I think what that album did is it put, it, it put a stake in the ground for thrash is dead, death metal. It's, it's done. Like that was, the, that was a notice Yeah, they put up. It was like, you love Slayer. This is like the best thrash, the best death metal put together as one sure. document. Yeah. And I think along the same lines, another important record that was, so At The Gates was their number one. And then number three was Storm of Lights Bane. And I think Storm of Lights Bane like brought into the mainstream a different style of black metal that, you know, they weren't the first to do it, Dissection. There had been kind of... Nobody called them black metal. Black either. death and, and some of that they, kind of stuff. I mean, back then it was just, they were just a death metal band. Dissection? Nobody's called it Black Death. That's interesting. That's, I don't that's know a retroactive thing. Yeah, I, I'm trying to. I'm wondering how it was sold to me. Yeah, because I knew that they were kind of. I remember how it was sold to me. I think by Chris or someone is like, well, there's like these Norwegian bands that do this style, and then like they're like dissections like from Sweden, so they're like they're more melodic, but they're still kind of doing black metal, but then they're also doing some death metal, and I was just like, I just knew I liked it. I yeah. didn't know like how to categorize. Well, at it. At that point, you know? like black metal, it was purely like geographic as mm-hmm. far as i remember is like norwegian stuff yeah but like necrophobic was never considered a black metal band they were a death yeah. metal band even I guess, though they sang about you i was know, gonna say do you think it, do you think the definition comes down to sound or topics subject matter you know what i mean i think that maybe is where like that line gets blurred because if you're not singing about gore but you're singing about like yeah say satanic things and, and stuff like that. But then to me... Dissection is not very satanic. Don't you have to throw de- deicide into that category? Because to me, deicide was always singing about Satan, but they were death metal. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, like, a, that's a... That's, there's a lot of nuance yeah. there. I mean, Morbid I, uh, Angel is deicide's like... a death metal band. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, and, like and they sound death metal. Yeah. You know? But again, it's like, if you're defining dissection as a black metal band simply because... They dressed a certain way on stage, or you know what yeah. I mean. John, but they didn't wear makeup. Those guys, he wore like the there were spikes, spikes and, and shit. But there was like they looked so more like Judas Priest than yeah, or, yeah, or, or like a German or German yeah. thrash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I where when do you think? Because you were living it. When did that yeah. section get pulled into that? Because I I was new to it. I also. think that was way later. Really? Yeah. To be honest, because dissection was one of those bands that. Because I worked at Relapse for about eight months in 1996. So Through Silver and Blood was coming out that year. Yeah. Uh, Dissection came out the year before. That was a, a, a record that... still... That was a record that just took its time to blow up, too. And people that were like, oh, enough of the fucking death metal, thought it was a great record. And I remember driving in uh, Matt Jacobson, one of the founders of Relapse, Relapse yeah. Records, um, riding in his car listening to Slaughter of the Soul... And everybody was just like, God damn, this is fucking good. And they didn't usually like modern stuff. They were more like grind purists. And Were those guys you know, ever into like terminal spirit disease and with fear? I know no, those that albums stuff was were just, higher to get That was more... But. Me and Chris were of the... Because they, they, were, they were probably like three years older than us or something. So they were more the initial kind of like crusty shit. And then we were like... They, they'd go to us for, you know, what's, what's, what's the, new and hip? What's the hip stuff? Yeah. yeah. Yep. What's the European hip shit? I remember being in the car listening to that, uh, listening to At the Gates, and I was fucking, we're going to get pizza or something. Stoked, and some couple guys come up, and we're at a stoplight, fucking pound on our window and wanted money or something. This is bad, like the town sucked that we were in. Oh, yeah, you were like Lancaster? Or yeah, what, it was yeah. not, it, I don't know if it was like, I'm not exactly sure what the, 
the main, you know, kind of like, you know, job market was there. Poverty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in a kind, of, kind of yeah. shitty, kind yeah. of shitty area, but yeah. And then we just waited until, mm. you know, uh, the light changed his fucking yeah, barrel. Off. Yeah. But the, yeah, the, like him and, and Bill were both like, thought that record was great. Yeah. And that was like, not something we'd normally hear. It was like, oh, this is fucking gay or whatever. You know, well, it's kind of like, there are those like records where even like, we, it was we, undeniable. We did like, you know, the Slint episode and, and stuff like that. And there are like these certain albums that kind of cross boundaries sometimes. Um, and Slint would have been maybe kind of one of them amongst like even metal people. But I'm thinking like at the record store, like records that like all of us liked, regardless of like what genre we walked in, you know, and like I think like Radiohead, Radiohead Portishead, yeah. DJ Shadow, like those are yeah. records that like not you know five or six of the employees could have put on at any given time or something like that you yeah. know um yeah it's funny there's this new cmu group that's like on facebook it's like people that went to cmu in the 90s i, I think i'm in it but it, i yeah. haven't found anything interesting enough it's, to it's comment not on. like i i just sometimes i'll like if it's a topic i'm kind of curious about just because i you know we grew up in mount pleasant so mm-hmm. some of the stuff they're talking about was like predated me like they talk about end of the world parties which i heard of a lot as a kid but i never they were basically done by the time i got to college yeah i mean that was the time when like um my dad's like you know if you're gonna go to your friend's house stay inside because they flip over cars yeah. light them on fire and shit. i remember riding my bike to Western go to the Weekends malt shop yeah. to play video games when we were in middle school and there was like smoking couches and things like that but yeah um Anyways, I people were talking about record stores, and I posted that I worked at Newman Records, and somebody's like, "Did you know Kyle Stabley?" And I was like, "Oh, I knew Kyle." And like, it was a girl. I don't know if it was maybe a girl he dated back in college. Oh, he's a player. He's I, he had one girl that he dude. dated for quite a while. I, I'm tr- I'm trying to remember her name. It wasn't a girl that he ended up marrying, but no, 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 no. yeah, Stacy was her name. Maybe I can't. Remember. I think was yeah. it Stacy? Yeah, it was. So it might have been Stacy that commented. So maybe Stacy's in that page, and she saw me. I remember. Yeah. Uh, he did a stripper at one point. Well, the funny thing, I was working. He came in with the stripper. Kyle, by the way, Kyle's a guy that we work with at New Moon, and he was a, a hip hop guy, but he also like would listen to some of the stuff we did and Pink Floyd. And he was whatever. totally he was he was he was great. He was yeah. a good dude. Like yeah, he gave us guy. a lot of shit. He's hilarious, but <laughs> he's but like yeah, he gave us shit in a good way. Yeah, yeah, and we gave him shit too. <laughs> but it was uh, there was a, a strip club called Maselli's that was up north. Uh, Maselli's is like. It's mm, like Gladwin or something. It's five minutes from where my mom lives. Yeah, yeah. Like that, one, the stripper girl he was dating, it's Harrison Gladwin, the border there. They yeah. popped in and talked for a minute, and then went outside. And then his other girlfriend came up. And I remember seeing an argument. And it was, oh uh, man, oh man. Yeah, yeah. That's no good. Way to go, Kyle! If you're out there listening to Patreon World, we we love you, brother. He's down in Florida, I think. He last is, time uh, I heard, he was but. a teacher for a bit. I don't know if that's what he's doing, but. But yeah, so so anyways, ninety five is just I thought it would be a kind of a fun year because uh in the next talk set when we we'll get some music here in a second, but you know, Mark did a lot of cool things for this episode or for this issue and uh from from an artistic standpoint, so I thought it'd be cool to get his perspective. And then like I said, this is like the ultimate sweet spot for like, you know, Jason Hundy world of like mainstream meets like the entryway into it's like when your metal. world exploded. <laughs> yeah, like 95. 95 is what, like, 91 was probably for, like, Chris and Mark. You know, yeah. you guys are four, five years older than me, so. But if you're 42? I'll be 42 in next I'm week. Three, I'll be 46 week, this week year. Week and a half. Yeah, in January. Now. Yeah, so. Um, but you guys were four grades ahead of me. So yes. I guess I look at it that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is what 90, 91 is for you guys. 
So like, think of how excited you were about like everything that was happening in 1991 with just all this shit. That it was, was overwhelming. Just, yeah. It was overwhelming. Yeah. Because I was still trying to keep up with, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what's on this list. I was still trying to keep up with Fear Factory and Monster Magnet and like good mainstream metal bands that were not necessarily on the radio, but they were the, the it was the stuff that Headbangers Ball probably played pretty regularly. Concrete corner tapes. And shit yeah, like that. absolutely. That kind of stuff. I mean, even like Morbid Angel Domination at that point was probably considered kind of mainstreamy for extreme you know what? i never i didn't like the record when oh it came see, out. I, I love and it. then going back i think it's fucking yeah. great it was like catchy see and it's really interesting the cover stupid yeah, yeah. <laughs> although i kind of dug the purple i don't it was like such a okay. different color for whatever yeah. you know it stood out but it was this interesting standpoint and then we'll we'll kind of get to the music here i you know we, we talk this is what we do on patreon shows um the conversation that was happening, I posted something uh, about the Swan Song um, and Black Star mm-hmm. episode that we did. And um, Joe Schaefer and a few other people were like, oh, I love, you know, Swan Song. It's a Megadeth like, record. <laughs> yeah. Like, or just, you know, at the time, nobody gave this credit, but like, it, it's, it's a fun record to sort of listen to. And, and Chris is not a fan of it. And I was, you know, um, trying to defend it a little bit. And I said, well, I think if you compare it to hard work, yeah, absolutely, it's a disappointment. But I think what was interesting for me in like 95, 96 is I was always interested when, like, for me, Carcass, when they put out Swan Song, that was a record I could play for non-death metal fans and yeah. and hook them and then reel them in and then show them hard work. Do you get what I'm saying? That makes so, sense. Like, so like for me, those records, even though you guys were like purists and you were kind of above a lot of that stuff and you're kind of like, ah, why'd they do that? You know, same with Domination. Domination was a record I could play where the slime live for somebody that might not be in death metal and it didn't scare them away too. Like the vocals were kind of like, what's up with this? But it was like yeah. catchy riffs and stuff like that. And so like, I don't know. I don't know if it's me because I'm I'm somebody that, because I do the radio shows back in the day, I like sucking people you know what i mean like that's a part of my personality is trying to like get my people like i don't want to scare people away with death metal i'd like to try and see if i can get more people to like get into those genres of music yeah you're like you're like the third generation me and chris are in the second generation and then like you know yeah scott carlson yeah you know jeff walker those guys are you know they're old school the time yeah but i think yeah you're like we grew up like our first we heard symphonies and we're like yeah and then we heard Necroticism, and we're like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. And then Heartwork was like, that's about as commercial as you can get while still maintaining. And see, Heartwork's the first thing I heard. Yes. So and it totally I, makes sense. And why. I always remember being like, guys, I would play the song Heartwork, and I'm like, what do you think he's singing about? And they were like, I don't know, killing people? I'm like, it's about painting. <laughs> and like to me, that was like a hook to get girls to like, I, I, and maybe it's, maybe it's my personality. I, was, I felt like I was defending... I didn't want people to think I was dumb for liking death metal. And I wanted to sh- prove You're to like them defending their artistic how merits. intelligent metal actually was. Because yes. I think the, 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 the conversation in like 94, 95 amongst high school kids is there wasn't much of a sense of appreciation of metal. You know what I mean? Even on a intellectual sort of side. Well, we're coming out of a bad time. The hair sure. metal was, you know, yeah, thrash was sort of, of Peter It was kind of nasty sort of, you know. And so I was always trying to look for ways to, like, sell that stuff to people. And I guess some people like that extreme metal scares away mainstream people. I was always trying to, like, show the validity of it in some kind of level. Um, yeah. I don't know. And I think that's just part of my personality. I think so. 
It's maybe I why never I, tried. I never like tried to scare people by it. I just didn't want to, anybody to make fun of it because I, it meant so much to me. And that's why maybe I wanted to like justify it and validate it amongst the people that were close to me, like my friends that maybe weren't into extreme yeah. metal so much. Yeah. And I was always happy when I could like pull people in. Like I remember getting Andy into dissection because he loved In Flames. That melody, man, it's fucking. Like, it's the it was, of... it was a little fast for him, but I think yeah. I, I think you know he didn't really do much black metal, but I think I got him into Immortal, um, at the heart of winter and Storm of Light's Bane because they were catchy enough that it wasn't threatening. You know the vocals, yeah. I think yeah. he was like hit or miss with, but just um, kind of let it wash over you. Yeah. So, but but anyways, that's that's kind of a you know. So it's a to me, it's a really personal year, and I was really happy that Decibel did this uh, cool issue. You know, like I said, they had done the '91 issue. Um, a couple of years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so we five. Yeah, geez. So, so we picked some things out. Um, we've got Mark set coming up. He uh, picked out Rebellion with "I Love the Dead." Um, we were both talking about that song. I think before we move on beyond it, that was was that the you you hadn't heard the Alice Cooper original, right? That was no, the first I, all I, I knew from Alice Cooper was like eighteen. I yeah. just thought he was lame. Uh, school's out. I probably knew. Yeah, like the stuff he turned like on the radio yeah. or whatever. But I never like really. It was such a different era that I didn't think of it as anything even relevant. Yeah. It seemed completely irrelevant. Alice Cooper, I thought, was like a weird hair metal guy because I knew um, Poison. You know what I mean? So Poison is your entry to Alice Cooper. Yeah, because I was 10 when that record came out. Um, And again, all my context for metal at that point was hair metal outside Mm -hmm. of like Metallica 1. Yeah. Yeah, which you know, because I was my frame of reference was still really strange. Which is really the only thrash video that was like mainstream, mainstream. You yeah, know? that people could see. I think, and that's what made that was the first thing I saw that was metal that made me think that heavy metal wasn't just you know the Danny Filth says you know the bikinis and yeah you know <laughs> getting laid kind of thing. Yeah. So that like like oh fuck this is serious. Sure. You know, this can actually like talk about stuff that means something. Yeah. Because I my Alice Cooper experience is seeing him and Vincent Price in the fucking Muppets show. Oh, the Muppets. That's funny. Which kind of diminishes like any kind of like shock value. Yeah. But you know, in the late sixties and early seventies, that was that was a big thing. Yeah, that's that's kind of how you validate yourself. Yeah. I I knew Alice Cooper. I mean, I knew the Poison video, and then there might have been like another video that he did at one point that I had seen, but what really stands out to me was Wayne's world because he's, you know, they go and see Alice Cooper in concert. And I haven't seen that since it was in the theater. Okay. Well, I saw it six times in the theater when I was in the theater. So I know that movie. Was that 1993? Uh, 92. Cause I was in middle okay. school. That was the perfect middle school movie. That's when then, uh, like movies could actually stick around for like four months. In oh, the yeah. theater. We went and saw that summer. We went and saw T2 like four or five times in the theater and yeah. like Wayne's world, like four or five times. Um, <laughs> And there's that great scene where they're, you know, they're in Milwaukee. They do the whole Laverne and Shirley kind of like mm-hmm. Wayne's World sort of thing. And then that's when they're like, they're wanting to party with Alice Cooper. And they're like, dude, you know, he plays Feed My Frankenstein, which was on the Wayne's World soundtrack. True. Which obviously, if we're talking about great 90s soundtracks, you know, Black Sabbath, Time Machine was on that. There, mm-hmm. Some good stuff. And they have that famous conversation with them where they're like, yeah, man, we're here to party. And, you know, we're so glad you made it to, you know, Milwaukee. And he's like, actually, it's pronounced Milwaukee. And he, like, starts <laughs> to, like, give them, like, the Native American stuff. And then, like, isn't it uh, blah, blah, blah? And, he, and then, like, the drummer and, and Alice Cooper's like, thanks, Pete. You're correct, you know? And so, um, oh, we're being inundated by animals. Jesus. Um, they must be hungry. 
Yeah. But anyway, so that I kind of knew him as this like hilarious character that I think you were supposed to be scared of, but he was like this kind of warm fuzzy. When well, he was like in John yeah. Carpenter movies and shit too. So yeah, I was like, I, not... I didn't see, um, um, it's, uh, it's the one after they live or right before it, uh, before they live. Yeah. The scientists. Oh, Jesus Christ. Protoplasm. Well, I can't think of it. I own it. <laughs> I can't remember. Prince of darkness. Prince of darkness. Yeah. There you go. And he did a song for that. Mm-hmm. Prince of darkness. And he plays that creepy fucking homeless guy. Yeah, and you knew him from, he did something for Friday the 13th, you said, too? Yeah, he did the Man Behind the Mask okay. song for Friday the 13th. I kind of remember that song something. now, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I knew about Nightmare on Elm Street and, and some of that, but like, I didn't know that Iron Maiden did bring your, like, I don't even know if I knew that song existed, even though I think I saw that movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was so disconnected from like, those type of things, because yeah. I was so young. Like I, I, I was more in horror than I was music. So okay. that that was like a you know the, the two I, worlds com- I, combined. I, I've told people before on the podcast like I my mom didn't like horror and I I didn't really have friends that liked horror. So I was sort of like I was aware of horror, but I didn't see a lot of horror till I got into like high school and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street four in the movie theater. My babysitter let me sneak and and do that, and then I had I had literal nightmares. Was that the two Dream weeks. Master? You remember? Um. Yeah, that's or the Dream one. Child. No, Dream Child's five. That's Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Okay. Um. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street four has uh Vinnie Vincent Invasion doing Love Kills. You mean Winnie Winston? Winnie Winston. Yeah, <laughs> which is awesome because Mark Slaughter sings on. It's one of my favorite Vinnie Vincent songs. It's yeah. awesome. You know, and I got into Slaughter after that, but I had no idea that. Finally, found the love of a lifetime. Was not slaughter too? No, uh, that's firehose. What's the firehouse? What's Firehouse's. the slaughter song where they're singing in an airport hangar? Fly to the angels, baby. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, that first slaughter. I, I liked his voice. A I, lot. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Great voice. And that guy Dana was a big writer for Ozzy and Dana Strom mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, for '80s like boner metal stuff, like the first slaughter is fine. You know, it's fine. Yeah, up all night's a great song. Yeah. Sleep all day, baby. That's. Yeah. I was jealous of his hair, man. I, I wish yeah. mine was that long at that point. I had a, a mullet. Good, he was a good-looking guy. He was guy. a good-looking dude. Yeah. So Sebastian Bach, eat your heart out. Hey, Sebastian Bach was a good-looking... Sebastian Bach had more of like a, that wild, long hair. Yeah. Crystal Gale hair, but yes. like hair metal style. Yeah. He was... Little teeds he'd sometimes. He'd whip it around a little bit. Yeah. Plus, he's so like... He's like 6'4". Yeah, he's so you know, wiry. You know 160 I mean? pounds yeah, exactly. or something. Exactly. He's like a... Like and a Canadian. Mesh dude. Yeah, yeah. Or something, but yeah. Hey, Sebastian Bach might come up on our next Patreon episode. So All right. Go. Yeah. But so we decided to pick out some some stuff. So Mark, uh, tell them what we're, we're going to listen to here, and then we can maybe talk about these two bands when we come back. But Yeah, we're going to listen to uh, Niflheim's, the self-titled album, uh, Sodomizer. Oh, yeah. We'll, bring, we'll talk a little about that when we come back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Suffocation, um, Thrones of Blood. From the Pierce from, from within. within. Yeah. And so all these records, of course, from 1995. So enjoy. Enjoy. 